evening and welcome to Bookends, a virtual book club where you can listen to conversations with featured authors as they discuss their books. This year we are focusing on employee engagement, and today we feature two authors of two great employee engagement tools. Following today's interview, you are invited to join in the employee engagement conversation on LinkedIn. Log into LinkedIn, search groups, and join the group called Bookends the Discussion, where you can pose questions and discuss this topical area with your peers, as well as dialogue with today's featured authors. You will also find a link to the recording of today's interview there. Invite your friends to join this group and listen and discuss. I'm your host, Susan Stam, and I am pleased to welcome Dick Axelrod and Peter Garber to Bookends today. Dick is the author of How to Engage People When You Don't Have Time. To order a copy of this toolkit today, you can visit everydayengagement.com. Peter is the author of 50 Activities for Employee Engagement. And to order a copy of Peter's guidebook, you can visit hrdpress.com. Dick Axelrod is the founder of and principal in the Axelrod Group Incorporated, a consulting firm that pioneered the use of employee involvement to affect large-scale organizational change. Raised in Chicago, he received his bachelor's degree in industrial management from Purdue University and his master's degree in business administration from the University of Chicago. Dick is the faculty for leadership arts program at the University of Chicago and the Principles and Practices Organizational Development Program at Columbia University. He is the author of Terms of Engagement, Changing the Way We Change Organizations, and a contributing author to Discovering Common Ground, The Change Handbook, and the Flawless Consulting Field Book. Peter Garber is the author of over 40 books and learning tools on a wide variety of business and human resource topics. His 50 Activities for Employee Engagement, published by HRD Press, is one of a number of activity books he has developed to help supervisors and managers deal with the challenge of keeping employees engaged in the workplace. Peter has worked as a human resource professional for PPG Industries Incorporated, a Pittsburgh-based manufacturing Fortune 200 company for the last 29 years. His most recent books, Winning Either Way and Designing Effective Employee Reward Programs, will be released later in 2009. His wife, Nancy, and he have been married for the past 32 years and have two grown daughters and reside in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Welcome to, Big, to Bookends, Dick Axelrod and Peter Garber. Thank you. It's good to work with you both this evening, and I'm really excited to discuss your work with you. And I'd like to begin, uh, Peter, uh, uh, with you. Um, as you know, we are in the midst in, in, in some really challenging times. A lot of businesses are really struggling with some of the financial things that are happening in our in our country. And I was wondering if you could tell us, you know, what your thoughts are uh, as we are, you know, are in the midst of these times. How important employee engagement is as an initiative that businesses should be focusing on. Um, for example, how are large employees such as PP&G seeing the need for engagement right now? Do you think this is something that's high on their list, and, and should it be? Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, it certainly uh, needs to be and should be. And many companies like, like our company and others that, that I read about 
are uh, wise enough to realize that this is uh, the things that support employee engagement, employee involvement, and uh, participative uh, and, and uh, programs that recognize employees and get them involved are extremely important, uh, particularly during tough economic times. Because many of the other um, rewards that that are inherent in our programs are uh, being limited right now, such mm-hmm. as raises and, and even promotions and, and career opportunities and things like that. So it makes it even more important to do the things that we can still control. We can't control the economy. We can't control you know the business um, uh, problems that we may be experiencing right now. But we can uh, ensure that employees uh, still feel included, still feel uh, engaged uh, in their jobs, uh, mm-hmm. that they are rewarded and recognized. And, and this is probably the most important time uh, to emphasize those kinds of things because people are feeling insecure and uh, uneasy and perhaps even unrecognized. So this is a very important time to do this. And, and uh, some of the, um, the research that I've seen uh, indicates that companies in general um, that have uh, strong employee initiation or employee engagement programs are maintaining those uh, even during these, these tough times. It can be a tough sell mm-hmm. uh, to continue to provide resources uh, to support these programs, but a very wise decision. Yeah, I, I would agree. Dick, what are, what are your thoughts uh, about yeah, this? Yeah, I would, I would agree with uh, Peter. You know, I think it's more important than ever. Um, and the consequences, I think, of disengaging employees are greater than ever. So there's, you know, there's, uh, when companies are, you know, going through cost-cutting and layoffs, there's, there's hidden costs in there, and I think one of the hidden costs is, is disengagement. So, you know, if it, uh, Peter was talking about some of the research. So if you look at, you know, like Gallup, which said that, you know, the cost of disengagement when they did their work in good times was about $350 billion a year. Okay, so you can imagine what it, what it is now. Or uh, Chicago firm ISR, uh, which studied over half a million employees at 70 firms, found a 52% improvement in operating income between companies with highly engaged employees compared with those with low engagement. So I think it, you know, as companies are looking to, um, you know, reduce cost, um, the benefits of an engaged workforce on the revenue side uh, are really important and I think sometimes overlooked. Yeah. Wow. Pretty impressive figures there. Uh, Dick, and I would like to continue with you for, for just a moment. Um, you know, when we hear the words employee engagement, one of the first things that many of us think about are these large-scale uh, surveys, um, you know, that produce that kind of data. And so many uh, organizations have utilized these kinds of tools. And I was curious as a practitioner what your thoughts were about, um, you know, these kinds of initiatives in the current economic climate that we're facing. Uh, are they still worthwhile? Do you see your clients getting what they need from these kinds of surveys? And perhaps most importantly, do you see them acting on the findings? Yeah, well, I think, you know, surveys are good uh, because they get people's attention. But um, unfortunately, I think for the most part it ends there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking of one, one client we had where, um, you know, they looked at their uh, engagement survey results and it was low on employee recognition, so the management group met and they identified all the things they needed to do to improve, um, you know, recognition. And one year later, the results were basically unchanged. You know, and the, the problem is that uh, they never engaged the employees in the discussion. Uh, you know, so, um, you know, if you don't use the survey well, 
as an opportunity to engage people, then in some ways you're throwing out your money. So I like to think about surveys they're like thermometers. You know, they, they tell you you're running a fever, they tell you you're okay, but the real, you know, benefit is when you go further into the, uh, you know, diagnosis or conversations and you really talk about, you know, what, what were the conditions and what gave rise to them and what can we do, do with them. And it, it really doesn't have to be a, a big complex thing. I mean, we've been uh, running just simple little workshops with uh, work groups looking at their results uh, identifying something on a survey that uh, they think needs changing and then uh, beginning to, to implement it. So um, I think because people contribute to the results on the survey, they have it within their power to change those results. And it doesn't require you know, a big to-do about it, but it does require people coming together, discussing what behaviors give rise to the results, and then making choices about how they want to work together in the future. Yeah. I would certainly agree. Uh, why take the temperature if you don't plan on a treatment? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, you don't want to be your own doctor. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Peter, Peter, have, uh, do you, do you um, ever feel that these massive surveys have contributed to the idea that employee engagement is somehow just this really large, complex, difficult-to-fix thing out there that, uh, that's maybe beyond the reach of the average organization? Yeah, Susan, they can be scary, and uh, I agree with the points that Dick was making uh, about surveys. They can be very uh, intimidating um, to uh, to an organization when they get the results. They can be kind of shocking uh, at times as well. And uh, I think you have to understand sometimes the context in which the surveys were taken. You may be getting um, you know frustrations and things like that that are are, are coming out because of. Uh, if, Times like now, when uh, people are, are feeling, um, you know, adverse uh, things happen to them in the workplace, as far as raises and bonuses and things like that, and, and career advancement. Um, and, I, and I think that, uh, as Dick indicated, that uh, the surveys do have to be kept in in their proper perspective um, and focus. Uh, I think the um, sometimes uh, a survey result can almost seem like a um, you know, a, a challenge or maybe even a threat to uh, to lower levels of, of the organization, uh, a threat in the sense that uh, top management is saying, you know, you, you need to fix this or else. This mm -hmm. is uh, things that we, we must do as a result of the survey. And um, people in the organization sometimes shy away from uh, or don't feel positive about the survey. They feel like more like they're going to get beat up by the results of that. And I think that uh, the sponsors of surveys have to make sure that that's not the way, not the message that comes across. This is something to help us um, see what areas we should we should be focusing on and looking at, and to pick uh, the the top two or three or some limited number rather than getting overwhelmed with the um, huge amount of data that you might get from a survey. Mm -hmm. I, I think they can be very very useful, but they have to be used uh, appropriately as well. Yeah. And, and certainly communicating when initiatives occur, linking uh, those actions back to the survey so the employees make the connection and, and see how it ties to their feedback. Yeah, and that they were heard and listened to. I think mm -hmm. the worst thing you can do is to uh, to give a survey of some kind uh, and employees say, well, you know, I never heard anything before. Right. That. You know, what'd you ever do with that information? Yeah, or when you, you come and you ask them again for some kind of a survey type data, they said, well, you didn't do anything with what you know, I told you before. Why mm -hmm. should I be motivated to, um, to give you answers? Absolutely. Time is money, so they say. 
Um, of course, the time is a key factor in any undertaking uh, like those that we're describing here. Um, how do you see it being a factor in organizations addressing this need? Uh, you shared some excellent thoughts uh, on this on the CD that comes along with the resource that you've created. Uh, would you share a little bit of your thoughts about this with us? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that starts to happen um, is we'll, we'll sometimes say to people, uh, you know, one, one, one group we might say, that why is engagement important? And another time we'll say, um, you know, why don't you have time to do it? And we have a lot of fun with that mm -hmm. because, you know, people live in, in on both sides of that polarity. You know, we know it's important, but sometimes we can't find or we don't think we have the time to do it. But, you know, there's hundreds of interactions that occur daily. Uh, in an organization, and each of these are an opportunity in which people, you know, get engaged or they get disengaged, and it's often sometimes these one-minute, two-minute uh, kind of interactions that make a difference, and what we've identified are really six conversations that, that engage, and that these are conversations that uh, you can really uh, become engaged within about, uh, you know, four minutes or even less. So one, one we call is the care conversation which is just engaging with someone and asking what's important to them. What do they care about? You know, what, what do they care about at work and why? Uh, another important conversation, this one's really important for leaders, is why it's important to me conversation. So a lot of times when leaders are trying to um, get people to make changes or to do something, they're often uh, focused on trying to convince uh, people in the organization, why it's important to them. But if the leader can't articulate why they're willing to spend their own time and energy on this, then they have a very difficult time engaging others. So if you can talk authentically about why something's important um, to you, then uh, people become engaged. Um, the next conversation, the third one, is what we call the grow conversation, which is just a conversation with people about how they'd like to grow and develop on the job. What are their you know, what are their areas uh, that they would like to become better at? What uh, things would they like to do differently? Uh, the next one, the fourth, is the recognition conversation, which is, you know, catch somebody doing something right and let them know about it. Uh, the change conversation is really about, you know, what do you think needs to be changed around here? People are always uh, thinking about how things could be improved. So a conversation about, uh, you know, how things could improve or how things could change is an important conversation to have. And then the last conversation is about your goals. What, not the goals of the organization, but what are your own personal goals? Uh, what would you like to achieve in the coming year? And so that when you have that conversation as a leader with someone and you understand their goals and then support them, that becomes a very engaging kind of uh, conversation. So there's six of them. The care conversation, the why it's important to me conversation, the grow conversation, the recognition conversation, the change conversation, and the gold conversations. And, uh, you know, when people practice these conversations, they're often surprised how engaged they become in, you know, four minutes or less. Or less. Yeah, it's amazing how big topics like that can really not take the amount of time that people think they might take and, and the value that can come from uh, conversations such as those you've just described. And then the important thing is to really, uh, you know, you introduce the conversation and you spend most of your time listening. Mm -hmm. And when, when you do that, the other person gets to tell their story and it's, it's the whole experience becomes engaging for both people. Yeah. Leaders need to listen more, that's for certain. Mm -hmm. 
We, we already heard, uh, Peter, a little earlier, um, some data related to employee engagement. I was wondering if, if you had any additional numbers that you might be able to share from some of the big consulting firms and survey houses that might be out there right now, just to kind of paint a picture of, you know, the whole employee engagement scene. Is, is it improving? Is it pretty much the same? Do you have any, any uh, information that you can share with us on that? Yeah, I uh, recently read um, a, a report of over 300 uh, companies and HR professionals that, that were surveyed, and, and the question was posed to them was, you know, what, do, what are you doing? Is going back to our earlier conversation, mm -hmm. are you maintaining your um, your engagement activities, or are they dec decreasing? And how are you doing in other similar uh, areas of leadership development and, and so on? Uh, and, and I think the good news is that uh, employee engagement is holding its own. Um, uh, Thirty-two percent of the, the respondents in that survey said that they were going to indeed even increase um, their uh, their uh, employee engagement activities, which was uh, in about you know the middle of the uh, the, uh, the list of, of things that they were going to increase. That was right, you know, almost almost near the top actually. Um, Sixty percent said that they're that they're going to stay the same. They're not going to change anything or, or decrease it. And only 8% uh, said that they were going to decrease their employee engagement uh, initiatives and measurements, and, and that was uh, uh, one of the lowest, next to the lowest uh, uh, percentage that, there, that was going to get decreased out of those types of activities. So I think that's very, very good news and, um, and very wise that, again, as we said earlier, this is not the time to uh, be moving away from these kinds of initiatives. We need these uh, more now than ever before. Yeah, it's great to hear that. People are taking it seriously and and, um, and you know continuing to to uh, to work on this important area. This is really the test, I think. What do you do during tough times? Yeah, it separates you know what uh, from the people that really meant it to those that you know were just kind of jumping on the bandwagon. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, it's actually, you know, what's really going to be part of the solution. So hopefully they'll continue those initiatives. You you both uh, provide some uh, tools that, that you've created and um, some quick ways of building engagement in the workplace. And, Dick, on, on page 62 of the transcript um, that's part of your package, the transcript of the CDs that are included in your the tool that you've created, you discuss two terribly underutilized, and I should add free, engagement tools. Um, would you discuss these with us and, and tell us why these are so important to building engagement? Well, I, I think the two most underutilized, you know, underutilized engagement tools are appreciation and encouragement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it doesn't cost anything to appreciate someone or to encourage them. Um, appreciation is important because it lets the other person know that you believe that they count. Uh, so, you know, the important thing is, I think, to look around Find something that somebody's doing well and let them know you appreciate their efforts. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. Because I think sometimes uh, people kind of say, well, I'm only going to appreciate the really big things that people do. You know, So it could be something as simple as, uh, you know, spending extra time or uh, doing something extra to uh, work on a project. Or, uh, But it's those little, those little appreciations that build up over time. And the second is encouragement. Uh, because it lets you know there's someone behind you. Uh, and again, it's, you know, simple things. Uh, you know, if you got a group that's working on a project and you're the leader, uh, you know, and you have to do this authentically, but if you, you know, you really uh, can provide the encouragement and the belief that they can do it, uh, that goes a long way. So just 
uh, giving them that sense of, uh, you know, you're behind them. I, um, I had an interesting experience with uh, my doctor who, uh, when I would take a stress test, and I don't know if, it, if you've ever taken a stress test near the end of it, you know, your heart's going pretty, pretty fast, and, you know, you're feeling like, well, maybe, you know, death might not be such a bad thing. <laughs> but he would, you know, at, at the end, there's about a two-minute period where you have to really push through it. And what he would do is he would just put his hand right at my back while I was on the treadmill. Mm. And in that sort of putting his hand at the back, he conveyed, like, you can make it, I'm here with you. And that was, uh, you know, all I needed to kind of make it through to the end. So these can be very simple, little, subtle things. Uh, again, they're free. They don't require uh, much. Uh, but it does require sort of, uh, you know, recognizing people and uh, providing the support they need to do their work. Yeah. And perhaps because they are subtle little things, maybe that's why they're they're so often missed and underutilized. Peter, you also offer some simple yet elegant tools in your resource manual, and I found it interesting that both you and Dick use the idea of exercising, and there it was just a moment ago, <laughs> um, of what you, you know, helping people think about building engagement. Uh, can you tell us about? Uh, you, what you call engagement calisthenics, and this is uh, exercise number three in your resource, and just how you'd use these. Sure, yeah, um, and just like anything else, any other activity, uh, it's almost always a good idea to uh, have a little bit of warm-up and exercises and staying with the exercising analogy, you know, stretching out a little bit. Um, you know, for some organizations, perhaps many, uh, moving towards uh, employee engagement, um, and it's um, you know, and full um, uh, you know, end result uh, might be uh, you know, a pretty big cultural shock, uh, and it may be best to you know kind of learn to walk before you run, mm-hmm. and to get um, you know, get people, uh, employees, on all levels of the organization more used to and accustomed to um, these changes that are, that are going to occur. And many of the doing many of the things that, that Dick has already mentioned, uh, some of the small things are extremely important uh, in, in setting the tone um, you know, for those kinds of uh, things that may come uh, later on and perhaps in a bigger way. Um, but uh, in, in, the, uh, in the exercise, I, I talked about allowing employees to become more involved in simple decisions that, that may be made uh, on a daily basis or uh, work process uh, that might uh, give employees more opportunities to uh, an older term, but to self-direct themselves. Um, uh, to listen to employees' ideas, and uh, I agree with several of the things that uh, that Dick was talking about. Is you know just how important it is to people. To uh, there's really no greater compliment that you can pay to uh, someone or an employee that works for you is to listen to their idea and be responsive to uh, and reinforcing to to those uh, um, uh, ideas that they have. Uh, recognition, of course, is uh, you know. Uh, extremely important, and, and, and that doesn't have to cost a lot. Mm-hmm. It can be, um, you know, just to thank you. Um, uh, more visibility of management, uh, the, the proper training and tools, um, coaching uh, employees on a regular basis. Um, and when, when we learn more about uh, engagement, we also learn that um, an important principle and, uh, of, of engagement or element of it is uh, community support. And, and I really do believe that, and I think that um, uh, Big organizations like the one I work for, and I'm sure others, um, have uh, maybe are less involved in, in the community than they may have been. In other cases, it may be more. Uh, but uh, I, I know I've seen a uh, moving away from that because of 
uh, limited resources and, and funds and things like that. I believe our employees want us to be good stewards of the uh, environment and, 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 and community citizens. And they take a pride in that. And I think increasing uh, community activities and supporting such things is uh, is part of the engagement process and very important to uh, to employees. Yeah, and once again, these don't have to be you know major expensive kind of undertakings. Um, you know, I think so often we're looking for these you know very large complex solutions when maybe the the best solutions are those simple inexpensive. Um, you know, solutions that are so readily available to each of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And probably more meaningful mm-hmm. yeah. many, many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I just to build on what Peter was saying about the community support, I think what engages people is uh, what their company stands for. Mm-hmm. And so if you, you know, if, if uh, it's, you know, this combination of uh, individual actions that, uh, you know, that people have every day, but then at a larger level, you know, what's our purpose? What do we stand for and what do we do? So it could be the community, it could be uh, environmental issues, Mm -hmm. it could be any of these things, but they all, you know, provide meeting which then produces engagement. Yeah, I'd agree, and, and and what I really like about what you just said there, uh, Peter, is is it is is it's not just saying that you stand for it, but it's actually getting involved in the community or you know with these things and really making a statement, putting your money where your mouth is, so to speak. And it's not necessarily money, but it's time and it's involvement, and and those are important and significant. And the, your employees notice those things, and they take great pride in that. They say, mm-hmm. That's my company. Right. That's my that's my leader. That mm-hmm. is in a newspaper um, making a donation to a charity or giving his time, mm-hmm. you know, for to help the underprivileged or whatever. They take great pride in that. Sure, they do. We had, we had one client who um, he was an IT person, and this was a company that was doing a lot of community involvement. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, you know, I could do IT anywhere, mm-hmm. but I do IT here because of what this company stands for. Yeah, it says it all. Dick, uh, your your CD almost functions, I was feeling at least as I was working with it, it it seems like it's kind of a virtual coach. It's sort of holding the hand of the leader um, as they're working through the process and um, helping them how to understand and how to work through challenges that they're going to face as they try to implement some of these ideas. One that is a big challenge uh, with, with constant interruptions of, you know, things like iPhones and Blackberries and email and, you know, all those little things that are out there that, um, you know, uh, you think about just plain, simple listening skills. Can you talk about how it's important and, and share how you've coached folks through the tendency to be distracted by all these things we seem to be tethered to today? So, I mean, going back to uh, what you know, Peter was talking about, about, you know, it's these simple things, okay, and it doesn't take a lot of time. And so, you know, we were talking about the power of listening. So listening produces engagement, but then how do I find time to listen? Yeah. So one of the things we talk about is, you know, contracting for a specific time. So you might say, okay, I'm going to, um, I'd like to sit down and talk to you about your, you know, your what what's important to you or what what your goals are for the coming year. Um, let's do that on Monday, and let's do that uh, between, you know, 1 and 1.30 or 1 and 1.15, whatever the, the time is. And so you contract for when, where, how long, and then you want to meet in a place that has minimal distractions. And so you start out small. You don't start out with, well, we're going to have a three-hour discussion about 
um, you know, what your goals are for the next year or something like that. So you, you create a space, you create a, um, a sort of boundary around the space in terms of time. Uh, you meet in a place where there's going to be uh, middle, minimal distractions. And then the, another important thing is to, you know, really pay attention when you're there. So I, I once had a boss who um, he would never take a phone call uh, when I was in there meeting with him. You know, and so, you know, this was very different than other bosses I had. So <laughs> I asked him about that one day. And he said, well, you know what, if I take other phone calls when you're in, I'm saying that someone, and this was in the days before caller ID, okay, so someone I don't know just by the ring is more important than you are in this, you know, the person who I'm having the conversation with right now. Mm. And I'm not going to send that message. So, you know, and I think it's even more complex today with, you know, Blackberries and, uh, you know, all the things that are hitting people. But I think the message is still the same. You know, you're saying at that moment that, um, you know, the other, what's coming in is more important than the interaction that you're having, and that becomes disengaging. So the, I think the important things is, you know, to create the contract for the time and the space. And then if you say, even if you say this is a 10-minute uh, meeting, then you keep that boundary because if um, you say it's a 10-minute meeting and then it starts going into a half-hour meeting, uh, you know, people have scheduled other things. They become distracted. They start to worry about uh, the other things that are on their plate they need to do. So those are some just simple things that I think are important. Yeah, I would certainly agree. You know, an, another skill that um, that is mentioned, Peter, by you, that's going to be really significant and important to building engagement is coaching skills. And um, uh, you help uh, the folks that use your uh, manual um, go through a discovery process in, in sections 15 and 16 of, of your um, your your uh, workbook. Can you share some of the ideas that you have there and, and talk a little bit about how managers might use this information? Sure. Well, um, you know, as, as you said, uh, coaching is a very important part of uh, the engagement process. Uh, engagement isn't just something that happens on its own without the influence of others. And, um, and if, um, if, if organizations expect uh, employees to suddenly, you know, be uh, capable of becoming engaged, you know, by hearing a lecture or reading, reading a book or whatever, it probably isn't going to be successful. They really have to make sure that their supervisors, managers, leaders um, uh, understand um, that that people need to be led in this process and, and coached uh, in this process. Uh, and an exercise that uh, I like to um, uh, begin this discussion with is asking them, uh, you know, participants in, in, in the class. Uh, or session, uh, you know, what were some of the great coaches you've had in your life? And I know a lot of uh, a lot of people use that as a, as an exercise, but it's an excellent one. And, and to get them to, to describe and articulate, you know, what is it that made that person, uh, you know, a great coach? Um, you know, as Dick said, you know, giving uh, undivided attention mm -hmm. and, and honoring commitments and so on, uh, and, and developing those. Um, those uh, those those characteristics or traits that that uh, enabled that person uh, in in, um, in, a, in a person's life to be such a influential part of, of their life and such a strong coach in their life uh, is often a very enlightening enlightening uh, uh, process and and uh, can be a great exercise. Um, I, I uh, also like to talk about the roles that people play uh, as you talk about organizational change mm -hmm. and how those roles are going, you know, may change or probably will change. 
And and we we talk about uh, a, a an engagement, a successful engagement initiative. It's probably going to affect people's roles in some pretty significant ways. And uh, and I talk about you know from boss to coach, uh, and and my exercise 16, uh, and, and what I like to do is to, uh, to identify uh, in a uh, traditional organization, let's call that a non-engaged uh, organization, what are, the, what are the typical roles that a supervisor or leader uh, specific to the, you know, to the people you're talking to, what are the things you do on a daily basis? And I list things in, 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 the, uh, in the activity book, uh, things like, uh, for example, assigns jobs, sets schedules, prepares plans makes adjustments, makes corrections. This is, again, on the boss list. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, the employee or subordinate, you know, they usually are, do the work, <laughs> as they're told, uh, which is uh, often the model that, that exists. Um, and, and then I'll ask if um, uh, what, what are the types of things that, that an engaged employee could do? What, what are the things that that employee potentially could do? Uh, and, uh, and I truly believe that uh, employees are, are typically capable of accepting more responsibility than they're presently being given, mm-hmm. uh, if they're given the opportunity and the right set of, of, of opportunities to do that. Um, you know, it will fail if you don't give them the training, the resources, the, the coaching, the support, the guidance, the feedback, the recognition, etc. So you need to do all those kinds of things. But what are the things that you could do to truly um, engage employees to accept greater levels of responsibility that they want to um, assume and that would enrich in their 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 job and ultimately their their lives. And what role then does the, the does the coach play? And 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 for that transformation to occur, the coach's role has to change as well because they'll be fighting over the same turf otherwise. Yes. Because much of what the coach is presently doing, or the boss is presently doing, um, the engaged employee in the future very well may be doing. And so that organizations have to coach the coach, so to speak, to identify this is the new role that you're going to have. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, things like providing direction, coordinating, supporting, training, clarifying, listening, planning, delegating, reinforcing, communicating, all those basic core things that support employee engagement really should be in the, in the coach's uh, area of responsibility and behaviors. Yeah. I, so I, it's an interesting tra- transformation that really is best um, if it's shared and, um, and, and made, made clear to everyone so they understand, you know, we're not working you out of a job. We're changing your, your role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very often uh, leaders in organizations want to see changes within employees, and they don't recognize that sometimes, it, you know, a, a prerequisite to that is that they need to change their role. And, and the way they yeah, everybody says uh, the common uh, remark sometimes is, I'm all for change as long as it's two levels below. Right. <laughs> of course, exactly. So, you know, um, they're a big part of that, and, and uh, I thought your, your exercise helped them to discover what was needed to facilitate that. It was very, very well done. Dick, one of uh, my favorite ideas in your work uh, was the coaching that you provided around uh, the idea of using what you called an invitational uh, process. And I thought this would really be a useful tool for many, many things. Can you talk to us a little bit about this and, and tell us how we can use this and yet avoid feeling like we might be manipulating someone or the situation? Well, I think the important thing about the invitation is recognizing that people always make choices. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, people will, you know, if you're talking about a, whether it's a project or whether it's something that needs to be done, 
uh, they're going to decide to join you or they're going to decide to sit on their hands. So, you know, sometimes people feel like they can't say no. So when they can't say no, they say yes, but then they don't do anything. So the notion of invitation is that you're inviting someone to participate with you, to work with you, and implicit in the notion of invitation is the right of refusal. So uh, this last year our son uh, got married, you know, and we sent out a bunch of uh, invitations. And there were some people we really wanted to make sure they were there, you know, really close friends. So we, uh, you know, as soon as we knew the date, we called them. We said, yeah, we really want you to be there. Uh, you know, and, and they got it. You know, it was mm-hmm. very personal. Uh, you know, there was another group of people on the list where we just sent out the invitations. And if they came or not, it was, you know, Talk it wasn't them. as big a deal. So that, you know, when invitations are personal, they're more meaningful. Uh, so, you know, that translates in the business world about, um, you know, not using emails or uh, bulletin board notices to, um, you know, bring people along. But if you really want them to um, be part of something, uh, is to really invite them and then to really recognize that um, if, if you don't recognize their right to say no, then their yes is pretty meaningless. Mm-hmm. And I think the people who really get this the best are people who work in the not-for-profit world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because they know, working mostly with volunteers, if what they're doing doesn't make sense or people feel don't feel engaged or recognized or valued, they stop showing up. Now, people can't always do that in the corporate world, but uh, they stop showing up in other ways. So uh, our experience is once leaders get this, then their approach to working with people begins to shift. Well, I would certainly agree with that. Peter, you you provide some nice tools to help organizations begin to quantify employee engagement. We talked earlier about some of the very large, elaborate surveys, uh, you know, but th- this you know, this is a very low-cost approach that you provide. Um, and I was wondering um, if you could um, tell us a little bit about these and, and how or when you would use these tools. Sure, Susan. Um, I call it the uh, the price of, of unengagement, or P-O-U-E. <laughs> um, and it's uh, borrowed from um, the quality process where we used to talk about the, the price of nonconformance. Uh, and, and this is very, um, very much the same on the same principle. Um, in, in my um, exercise on this, I really identify, you know, uh, what what is the potential cost of opportunities lost, and those would be opportunities lost by uh, not engaging employees. Um, you know, what are the the resources that are lost? Uh, what could be the cost in employee turnover? Uh, quality problems? Uh, unhappy customers? Misshipments, etc. Um, and, and then, what are the potential gains? Uh, looking at, um, you know, what 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 could be uh, uh, you know, uh, achieved by uh, engaging employees, and it's maybe sometimes the uh, often the, the opposite of the opportunities lost list, mm-hmm. but things like reduced uh, material cost, uh, more skilled employees um, that have their both their their heart and their um, you know their mind in, in the game. You know, better customer relations, um, that discretionary effort that they, we, we need and want our employees to uh, to exercise, particularly when dealing with those that deal directly with customers or indirectly with, with customers and those things. So uh, the the price of unengagement is really the combination of those two things. 
uh, the opportunities that are lost and, and the potential gains that um, you know, that may be lost as well, and that give you uh, at least a, a starting point to see that um, that uh, engagement uh, can be good business uh, as well as creating a better uh, work culture and more satisfying workplace for everyone. So it's really uh, applying the business case to uh, uh, to the principles of employee engagement. Yeah, absolutely. And and certainly can be a real eye-opener, I'm sure, for many organizations as they... Yeah, once you quantify that, yeah. you see that uh, there's a, a lot of opportunity lost. My goodness, yes. Dick, you uh, share the impact of personal stories to engaging folks and share two really great examples. Uh, one was American Idol and another, which I was unfamiliar with, Hank Queen. Could you uh, discuss these um, ideas and, and uh, the personal stories that you share and um, why we um, may hesitate sometime to, to use them along with uh, your, great, your great examples? Well, you know, in American Idol, you know, one of the things is why do people get engaged in shows like that? Well, there's, an, there's always this opportunity to learn something about the person. And the more you know about their personal story, then the more they become someone who's human to you and not just another uh, performer on the stage. The person who really sort of figured this all out was Rune Ar Arledge, uh with the Olympics. And... Uh, what he, what he started to do were these little vignettes about the athletes. And then so the more you knew that this athlete, uh, you know, grew up, uh, was an orphan and overcame many odds to become this great Olympic hero, you started to root for them and you started to care about them. So the more you know about someone, uh, you become personally engaged. And that comes through understanding and knowing their story. Uh, Hank Queen was a VP of uh, engineering uh, large uh, global aerospace company and uh, yeah, Hank was an interesting uh, guy because he was uh, he was not what you would call charismatic he was not uh, even super engaging but uh, what what he was was he was this fantastic listener uh, he was totally honest and uh, when you were with him you always felt like you had his undivided attention uh, and he talked from the heart about what was important to him and that really engaged people, uh, the people he was working with. My, my favorite story about Hank was when we first began to work with him. And uh, we're meeting with his uh, leadership team, and uh, they're looking at uh, the change process that we were looking at. And it was, you know, because I was involved with it, it was a high-engagement change process. And Hank said to him, the group, he said, well, I don't care whether you work with Dick or not. What I do care is that we're successful in this. And so... Um, what we need to really be committed to is um, the process that we choose, whether it's the one I was suggesting or whether it's another one uh, that we were looking at at the same time. And so he, he was doing a couple things there. He was he was providing choice. He was giving people the opportunity to say no. And basically what he was saying was that what was most important to him was that his group was behind the decision, not the vehicle that was being or the different vehicles that were uh, being, you know, presented. So I think when you tell stories, uh, it makes you human to the audience. It helps you connect at a different level. Um, good stories are memorable. They're easy to recall. Um, you know, people become engaged when they listen to other stories and when they tell their own stories. So you need to be both. And I think the important thing is to make sure that your story 
is relevant to the uh, whatever you're, the issue you're dealing with. Yeah, picture is worth a thousand words. Peter, tool number 30 uh, discusses the emotional engagement and uh, offers some interesting, uh, an interesting model. Could you describe your model with us and, and tell us how we might use this? Sure. Uh, it's very simple. Um, employee engagement is really uh, as much emotion as anything else. And so we're really trying to get uh, people's um, you know, hearts uh, into uh, their work as well and, and to feel a, a connection to the work and a sense of belonging and, uh, and, uh, and a member of the team and, and those kinds of things. And so uh, in the model is really just the, um, if you, you picture a classic uh, uh, chart uh, type uh, or graph with a vertical and horizontal axis uh, or model uh, and, uh, and and my model I have on the uh, on the vertical axis, just you know the job itself uh, and and the things that are required to to do the job well, the, the types of skills and um, uh, training and expertise that somebody you know needs to do. But uh, on the uh, horizontal axis, uh, the degree of uh, emotional engagement is, is is plotted or is introduced, and when you get um, uh, high skill, uh, job skills, and high uh, emotional engagement is really where you get uh, get the best performance. Uh, and as a result, uh, everybody feels better or feels good about that. The uh, the organization, you know, appreciates the, the, the higher level of, of performance, which they uh, of course want. Uh, but employees uh, also have a sense of uh, accomplishment, and it's a, a self-fulfilling or self-rewarding. Uh, experience. So it's really the uh, the intersection of those two factors of of, of having the, the necessary skills, and then also having an environment that nurtures and uh, and supports uh, and uh, emotional engagement uh, in someone's job that, that uh, is really the, the most satisfactory uh, to everyone. Yeah, it's a really a win-win-win. It's a win for the customer. It's a win for the organization, and a win for the employee. Employee engagement, right? You can, that's that, that's absolutely right. And you can really tell when you um, are uh, uh, receiving services from uh, an employee uh, of, a, of an organization that uh, is emotionally uh, engaged in his or her job. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, it, it, it comes through. Um, they um, are. Uh, they have an excitement. They have a, a genuineness. Uh, they have a, uh, a commitment uh, to uh, uh, giving you the, the services in the highest quality manner that they can. You just tell. Mm -hmm. You could you, know, you could walk away and say that wasn't that was an engaged employee yeah. that that just gave me such good service and that, that provided me that that help that I really needed. Uh, in order to you know to accomplish whatever task that, that I'm trying to do, uh, trying to do at the time, uh, be it rent a, a car or get a meal or um, get a haircut or whatever it is, um, you can really really tell it really makes a difference and it makes you want to go back to that business. Again sure, it does. And, and, and have that same experience again. Absolutely. Well, I think we have time for one final question for each of you. And, uh, Dick, um, you suggest that meetings are one of the most overlooked employee engagement opportunities, and I completely agree. And you highlight six great tips to do a better job with meetings while utilizing them as a powerful engagement tool. Could you walk us through your thoughts about this? Yeah, I mean, what I want to start people doing is to shift their thinking about meetings as something you have to endure. Okay. 
to meetings as a place where engagement takes place. So once you start to think about it that way, the first thing is to make sure you've got the right people in the room. And there's nothing that more frustrating uh, for a group than to not have the right information or the right people with the right authority uh, to be able to make a, to make a decision. That, but that also includes um, including what are sometimes called the unusual suspects, the people who might think differently or bring a different point of view to this. So, you know, having the right people there is really important. And then the second thing is, you know, how do you start your meeting? And, you know, what you see in many organizations today is people go from, they're so scheduled, they go from one meeting to another to another, and they barely have time to take a breath, and they're not even sure what meeting they're in uh, when they show up. So we're saying, well, why don't you start the meeting by asking people to take a minute to describe what they need to do or say to be fully present in the meeting. And you just go around less than a minute a person, and it just sort of settles people down and says, oh, yeah, this is, I, I can clear out what's happened before, and this is why I'm here. The third is to make sure that there are clear decision boundaries. Uh, there's an interesting notion that uh, boundaries give you freedom. So that, uh, you know, well, I think what frustrates people in meetings more than anything else is to think that they've been involved in a uh, decision process where they have a say, uh, but to find out really there's only one person who has a say, which yeah. is the boss. So I think it's important for the leader, you know, as you walk through the agenda to say, okay, you know, on this one, we really don't have a choice. On this one, I'm open to opinion. Uh, on this one, let's all figure it out together. And when you have those clear decision boundaries, then you know where to focus your energy. And the whole process becomes uh, much more productive. Another thing to do is, and this is what everybody can do, is fill the role. We call the role holes. So if you see that someone, you know, that there's notes that need to be taken or if uh, decisions need to be clarified or... Uh, whatever that's missing in the meeting, if, if people, if you begin to jump in and fill those holes, then, um, one, the meeting's going to uh, go better, and people are going to find it a better experience, but you're also going to be seen as a key resource in those situations. The, the fifth one is um, we've all been in meetings where there's endless back-and-forth conversations, and so the longer you let that go on, uh, the longer you disengage people. So one thing uh, that we find very useful is to just uh, call a timeout and ask the people who've been sitting on the sidelines, the quiet people, what's going on. And just that sort of, you know, holding a mirror up is often enough to uh, move things forward. And then the last is uh, take five minutes at the end of the meeting and review agreements because you'd be surprised how many times uh, people walk out of the meeting and, you know, I think we should be doing one thing or I thought the decision was one way and I'm supposed to be following them in one way and you have a very different notion of what needs to be done. And then, um, you know, we come back, you know, a week later or whenever and, and, and things are done and then people are upset. Uh, and it was really, if, if we had taken these five minutes at the end of the meeting to kind of review agreements and uh, get clear on what was decided and, what, and who does what, then uh, you kind of you know, front load this for success. You really make sure that you have a clear understanding walking out of the meeting and people can then um, move forward. So, so those are the, the six things. Uh, right people in the room, uh, having time to kind of take your breath and say what you need to be present, uh, clear decision boundaries, 
filling the roll holes. Don't let endless conversations go back and forth. And then take five minutes at the end of your meeting to review. Not only great advice, I think, for employee engagement, but when you consider the numbers of hours probably in this country spent in meetings each day, it's probably one of the, you know, really easiest cost reduction things that organizations could get a hold of, too. And you consider all that time and people walking out with, you know, 10 different ideas about what just happened and what's going to happen next. Really good advice. You probably reduce the time and increase the enjoyment. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and save lots of money by right. reducing. Be more productive. Sure. Sure. Other than that, it's, you know, not worth much. <laughs> Uh, my favorite activity in your resource kit, um, Peter, is the employee engagement uh, game that you've created. I thought it was really excellent, and I'm eager to try it. Can you tell us about it and, and how you process this and what we uh, could expect to gain from an experience like this as we play this card game? Okay, well, thank you. Uh, it is one of my favorites, too. Um, it's um, it's a game that, um, that has uh, cards that, Need to be cut out from the uh, from the um, the book, and there's 20 20 engagement cards. Um, it's probably best played uh, in uh, groups of five, but it really could be different numbers of people. You just need to distribute the cards in some kind of equal fashion. Um, and, and the rules are, are very simple. Um, that um, that uh, the information on the cards can only be shared with each other by reading them. You can't physically show uh, another person the card. Uh, your cards, uh, and the reason for that is, is to, as the name implies, uh, the engagement game. Everybody has to be engaged in the game. So by um, requiring each person to, to uh, verbally share the information on his or her cards, um, you know, if, if well, what would happen if one, one of the players said, "I'm not playing this stupid game," <laughs> cards back in the envelope and said, "I'm not playing," then the entire um, people on the team wouldn't be able to solve the problem because each card has some information needed to to solve the, the problem that the team has assigned. Uh, and, and it's very helpful, useful uh, after uh, people have played this game uh, and, and back in the real work world uh, to, um, to hearken them back to uh, this experience by saying, you know, hey, Joe, I don't think you're showing all your cards or information you're not sharing, just like when we played the engagement game. So by each person uh, sharing the information, they, as a group, need to, need to um, uh, analyze the data. And you could give them a pad board, and they could write it down uh, on the pad board. That would be fine, but it still would force each player to share their information. And uh, the, the game itself, the information in the cards, is a bit of a catch-22 involving a customer service problem in which uh, uh, the customer service representatives are, are penalized if they have a, an employee complaint, but the only way this problem can be, it to, that gets to their supervisor, but the only way that the problem can be solved is if the customer service representatives tell the supervisor that the problem exists, that they're hearing from the customers. So somehow this problem has to be reconciled, and the obvious answer is to change that rule that uh, if you get a customer service complaint that, that, that it, uh, it, it affects your, your rating or your uh, status with the company somehow, that, you know, that people shouldn't be afraid to, to get that kind of feedback. It can be positive. It can be constructive. So, you know, the whole point of the game is to keep people involved and also to, to teach a lesson that uh, getting an uh, employee's input uh, and, and their engagement is, um, solves problems that, that otherwise wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be uh, surfaced. So it's, it's fun, and it can have a, a, a residual effect. And 
and um, uh, helping people um, uh, remember that they have to share their cards. Absolutely. It sounds like a lot great. of fun. Yeah, really great. Well, well, Peter and Dick, we, we all thank you for your excellent work and, and uh, for providing us with these really wonderful resources to help build employee engagement in our workplaces. It's been really great to have this time with both of you this evening, and I'd like to encourage our listening audience, audience to purchase these excellent resources that we've been talking about tonight to get how to engage people when you don't have time. Once again, you can visit everydayengagement.com. And to get 50 activities for employee engagement, you can go to hrdpress.com. I encourage you to do to do that. Uh, these are great tools, and I think you'll get lots of mileage from, from them both. Following our interview today, you are invited to join in this conversation on employee engagement by joining the group called Book Ends the Discussion. Um, this group is found on LinkedIn in the, groups, the group area. And uh, here you can pose your questions for both Dick and Peter, who will join us there. And you can discuss these tools with your colleagues and your peers. You will also find a link to the recording of today's interview to share with others and to listen, uh, re-listen yourself. So we hope you will invite your friends to join uh, this group. In April of 2009, my guest will be Keith Ayers, who has authored the book Engagement is Not Enough. And we have a full year uh, plus of employee engagement authors, um, including uh, Julie Gubner of uh, uh, her book Closing the Engagement Gap in May and Lee Cola engaging the hearts and minds of all your employees in June. So to be sure that you are always in the know about Bookends events, please go to teamapproach.com and sign up for our Bookends notification under the um, Bookends button on our website today. So thanks again to our wonderful guests, Dick Axelrod and Peter Garber. I've enjoyed so much uh, spending this time with you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's great fun. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.